Here we are again. <clears throat> We're with Sean Miller, Reasons for God, Part 6. Sean, tell me, when will faith catch up with science? Well, the question becomes, when will science catch up with faith? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a beautiful thing to ponder that the, there's some great studies in the sciences that really point to God. We talked about things uh, in, in this talk that's going to be highlighting that all the design points to the designer. We're in this memory aid jumped. We're talking about the universe itself, miracles, and so forth. So we hope you tune in to learn more about Reasons for God. Six parts. We're talking about not jumping into the darkness, but jumping into the light. Jumping into the light. Watch. <laughs> Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt, and I am your host today. I'm Peter Karutz, and we're here live in studio with Sean Miller. Sean, uh, this is Reasons for God, Part 6, so you've been here before. We've been here before. Oh, man, we've been here before. And you know what? It, it's Reasons for God, Part 6, because you know what? There are some really, really good reasons, and uh, it probably could be Part 35, but this one is going to be a good one. Well, one of the things I wanted to do was that we've been going through this memory aid called Jumped, and it's kind of a play on the word, the leap of faith. A lot of people think that, like, when you make an act of faith, it's kind of like an emotional, wishful thinking, you know, but it's like, no, we're actually jumping into the light, not into the dark. So the reasons that we give are meant to kind of help bolster faith to show that our, our this, this act of faith is something that's based upon solid evidence. There's some real good reasons. It makes reasons. sense. Yeah. So it's not just like this blind, oh, I, I hope it to be so. It's a, it's a real um, rational thing. There's this book that I'm going to be kind of going through some of the arguments. You've probably heard of it. It's called The Handbook of Christian Apologetics by Dr. Peter Crape. He's got like 20 reasons of reasons for belief in the existence of, of God. I'm, I'm trying to take some of that, various other sources, put them in this memory aid because, you know, when you're in a conversation, it's like, and you have all this stuff in your mind, you're like, okay, what's a concrete way that I can recall this and then to articulate somewhat right. intelligently. So I put this J-U-M-P-E-D. Last time we talked about J, we talked about the Jews, Jesus, and then we, we got into you, the Universal Catholic Church. And so we're going to be kind of following on that uh, line today. Sounds good to me. But before we start along those lines, we ought to start with the the line to heaven. <laughs> Let's so do if, it. I, if I ask you, please, would you... Start us off with a prayer. Let's do it. So we always want to invoke the Holy Spirit. He's working inside of us, outside of us. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would send your Spirit to anoint this conversation with me me and Peter today, and upon all those who are going to hear this in the, in, the, in the present, in the future. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, Lord. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Father, Father, the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. So tell me, what, what about this God guy? What, 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 give me a good reason. Well, we're going to be talking about some of those. I mean, I said last time that, uh, you know, the, the, the number one reason as, quote, evidence for God is God in the flesh. 
Jesus himself, Jay. You know, we celebrate Christmas and, and Easter. God has come to earth. Uh, he proved all what he said when he rose from the dead. And so, um, you know, this is the one, the, the main proof. And he left us this this church, this this life. And this, you know, here here is the effect. This church goes back to its cause. So we talked last time about one of the main reasons to believe in in who Jesus, as, as evidence for being the divine man, you know, God, was because of his resurrection. And so I use this acronym called Easter, which I won't get into that now. But then we reviewed the uh, letter U for Universal Church. We said that, you know, the church itself, it's under the acronym THUMB. It's time-tested, T-H-U-M-B, time-tested historically rooted, universally extended, miraculously confirmed, and biblically foretold. So this church has got something to say. It's still around giving witness. It's a continuation of the incarnation. So where is Christ today? He's in his church. He's in his body. He's in us. So we're going to kind of continue that and then speak about, again, from this universal church, we're going to speak about the universe and this thing called unanimous consent. But you know, I, I just said uh, last time, I threw out the, the question, I said, I wonder what Jesus himself would say to someone, especially like a diehard skeptic or a modern time, yeah. to say, hey, I don't believe there is a God. It's, this is just a, a Santa Claus for grownups. You know, Jesus, uh, what would you think is the best evidence for God? No boy, I would uh, being a businessman, I would say uh, it, it's all a miracle. Here's a guy who organized for three years, and he has a, a company that has not only f- persevered but flourished for two thousand years. That is a miracle, <laughs> which is kind of what we talked about last time. The Universal Church is a living miracle of it. But I don't think the Lord would have started off by like what he did with the woman at the well and said, you know, well. I who speak to you am he. I am the living image of the invisible God. He would probably start off like what he usually does in the Gospels. He would ask a question. Mm. And, I, and I thought about what question to be asked. Now, if you haven't um, heard about this, there's a series on formed.org called The Search, and Chris Stefanik is the host. And I, I think it's in part three. He gives this uh, little line. He goes, I think we're the first era in history to have so many people say, God, if you're really there, why don't you reveal yourself to us? And then Stefanik says, I think God would respond by saying, do you not notice everything? Right. Which I think that's where the Lord would probably start, is that, you know, you think about just the world in which we live, you know, the splendor, the beauty, the power, the creativity, the artistry, the genius, the intricacy, the order, the structure, the elegance, you know, that's just from the external world, the grandeur of it. But then, you know, when you look in the mirror and you see your eye, you see how your your mind works, you see the beauty and elegance of the human body, you're like... Okay, random chance or unbelievable incomprehensibility? Well, it could be random talk- chance. I mean, you, you, you look at what they found on the moon. <laughs> what is this? They found a Rolex on the moon. It's, it was kept very quiet for a long time, and, and it was <laughs> functioning, right? And how did that Rolex get there? It was just happen chance. Meteorites hit. There was a little bit of metal, a little bit of melting, and it just happened. And, and you know what? I think every human person is is infinitely more complicated than a Rolex. <laughs> well, it's amazing to ponder that, like, when you think about, you know, Psalm 19, for instance, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal their knowledge. And um, I love that because, you know, like recently I, I gave a talk on faith and science, and it was like, you know, 
we, we presume so much. I mean, every scientific uh, study is based upon faith. Number one, you have to have faith that your reason can reason reasonably. Number two, you have to trust that the world you actually see is, is actually it. You know, but then for us, you know, as believers, we, we believe like it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word for the Word is logos, which means reason, speech, thought, intellect. It's a multi-layered Word. And it's like, so it was through that Word through whom all things were made. So for us, we see the order, the elegance, the beauty of the universe outside and inside as, as an, an effect of this great cause, which is God Almighty pouring his order and his rationality in, in, into being. So for us, it, that's like almost an intuitive principle. So I want to get to this letter U, is that, you know, people who kind of, we all sense this. We all sense this order, this design, this beauty. So we'd say you, there's a universal reasoning, universal instinct or intuition, a universal unanimous consent. So this common sense leads to what we'd call a common consent, you know, and that kind of goes to what the point is now. If you recall uh, the movie The Bucket List, so yeah. that was with uh, Morgan Freeman and right. Jack uh, Nicholson. So the plot was about it's around two terminally ill men who are on a road trip with a wish list of things to do before they, quote, kick the bucket, thus the bucket list. Now, there's a, there's a great scene there where they're flying in a plane, and then uh, Morgan Freeman is looking out, and he's seeing the beauty of the scenery and the stars, and he says, it's indescribably beautiful, the stars. It's really one of God's good ones. And so Edward, who's the character of uh, Jack Nicholson, he goes, so you think a being of some sort did all this? Carter says, you don't. Edward says, you mean, do I believe if I look up in the sky and promise this or that, the biggie will make all this, namely my disease, go away? No. Carter says, well, then uh, 95% of the people on earth are wrong? Edward says, if life has taught me anything, it's that 95% of the people are always wrong. I honestly envy people who have faith. I just can't get my head around it. Carter says, well, maybe your head's in the way. <laughs> you know, and I think that's a good thing to kind of ponder as uh, what we see is this kind of common consent that the majority of people intuitively sense that something big is going on here. But there can be problems that people don't want to admit it for maybe various reasons they don't even are aware of. You know, and so like this book, uh, Rady Replies, says it well. And um, by the way, Rady Replies is this great apologetic set of books. Um, it's about five or 6,000 Q&A. It was written in the 20s. Very succinct, clear, rational order. It, uh, my parish priest growing up, he said that he learned more from this set of books than he learned from all his time in the seminary. Wow. So What's it called again? It's called Reader Replies. Wow. And so um, it's all online now that you can look up, but really good stuff. And so it has chapters about, you know, about God, about Christ, about Scripture, about salvation, about various teachings, about world religions, and, and whatnot. But in its section that begins on, on God, it, it says what I'm talking about here. He goes, he says, another indication of God's existence is drawn from the universal reasoning, or if you wish, intuition of men. The universal judgment of mankind can no more be wrong on this vital point than the intuition of an infant that food must be conveyed to the mouth. The stamp of God's handiwork is so clearly impressed upon creation and, above all, upon man that all nations instinctively believe that there is a God. Men do not have to persuade themselves that there is a God. They have to try to persuade themselves that there is no God. Again, maybe one's head is um, getting into the way. So 
this is be- beautiful stuff to think about what we all kind of take for granted. You know, like uh, even in the scripture, it, it, it highlights this. So the book of wisdom, chapter 13, it says, For from the, pers- from the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of their creator. So we can kind of say from creation to creator, art to artist, design to designer, big bang to big banger, so to speak. So the one text that I wish all of us would really just take some time to ponder is Romans chapter 1, which kind of echoes this book of wisdom from the Old Testament. So Romans 1, in the New Testament, Paul writes, this is Romans 1.20, Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes of eternal power and divinity have been able to be understood and perceived in what he has made. As a result, these unbelievers have no excuse, for although they knew God, they did not accord him glory as God or give him thanks. Instead, they became vain in their reasoning and their senseless minds were darkened. While claiming to be wise, they became fools. Mm-hmm. So that common sense can turn into senseless if you don't want to attribute what is very apparent to the senses. And I think that's what is really um, <clears throat> a lot of what I see as atheism, I think, can be stemmed from this is that, you know, it really begins with a lack of gratitude. It says they did not accord you know, him glory as God or give him thanks. So if you don't instinctively have gratitude for that which you have and are, the wonder of your human person, the wonder of this great habitat for humanity we call the universe, you know that, and then if you can turn these gifts against the purpose for which they've been made, then that can be a row down to indifference, unbelief, perversion, filth, whatnot. You know, so sadly, like um, one of the spokesperson for atheists today is this gent, we, many of us have probably heard of him called Richard Dawkins. He wrote this book called The Blind Watchmaker, you know, and uh, so he's a well-known atheist. And about biology, he said, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. He then proceeds to argue that they were not designed, thus no design, no designer. So he says, everything that you see, it's an illusion. You know, you might look at Mount Rushmore, it looks designed, but, you know, the reality is, who who knows? Wind, time, chance, erosion. And then you're like, well, is that really the case? So, like, the design argument, that's been one of the classical proofs for the existence of God. We're going to spend a whole time on the letter D, J-U-M-P-E-D, talking about design. But, you know, he he tries to pull out the rug from what we all understand to be kind of just common sense intuitively, you know, that a genius design points to a genius designer. You know, there's this book by a guy named Douglas Axe, which, you know, mark down that name. He, he works for the Discovery Institute. He's just a, an amazing gent, did a lot of studies to kind of show just the wonders and intricacies about how things have to be in order for them to function. But he wrote this book called Undeniable, which he speaks about when you look at the world, creation, macro and micro, we, he have, we have what's called this universal design intuition. You know, I don't have to prove to you that that is design. You just see it. And to not see it is almost kind of like a willful, you know. Willful ignorance. Yeah. So it's like, uh, it's it's great that Doug Axe, you know, he uh, he says this in, in one of his little talks I found on the, on the internet. He says, we look at something like an iPhone, and it's a marvel, right? A technological marvel. It's far beyond things of yesteryear that were technological marvels. No one can pick up an iPhone or a smartphone of any kind and think that it was an accident, right? We know that 
Thousands of people spent probably millions of hours on the different aspects of this, the different components that go into something like this. He goes, it might not be quite as obvious to a non-biologist how much more complex even a simple organism, a worm, a firefly is than a smartphone. But it's true. If you look at the inner workings of, of something as simple as, say, a firefly, you find that it's layer upon layer upon layer of complexity. All these things are very sophisticated in how they function. The mere fact that a firefly comes from a single cell that then develops into a firefly puts it in a completely different league. That doesn't happen with smartphones. So it's like, you know, he's one of these guys that have done a lot of work about the intricacies like of such things as a cell. I mean, when you look at a smartphone compared to the molecular biology that's going on in a cell. Go from nothing to something incredible. Yeah. Something incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like I have a show and tell book of this book called the Molecular Biology of the Cell, and it's massive. And yeah. you're saying it's all just random. I want to see it. And this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I am your host, Peter Karutz, and we're here with Sean Miller. We're talking about Reasons for God, Part 6. Let me just give you a little preview. First off, we're going to have some announcements at the break, but uh, and I'm going to give you a little report on the Catholic Men for Christ that uh, we just had. But for now, think about a man who you would nominate for... Catholic Man of the Year. That's uh, nominations are going to be needed here very shortly. Call us at 636-447-6000, We'll talk more about it at the break. Okay, so like just to kind of summarize here, so if you go back to that book that I mentioned in the beginning, Dr. Peter Kraft, it's called The Handbook of Christian Apologetics. So he writes um, about this argument. He says, belief in God that, that belief to whom reverence and worship are properly due is common to almost all people of every era. Either the vast majority of people have been wrong about this most profound element of their lives, or they have not. It is most plausible to believe that they have not. Therefore, it is most plausible to believe that God exists. Now, That's in good. his different work, uh, Crave states, he goes, to put it differently, in order to be an atheist, an atheist, you have to be a snob. You must believe that you stand among the very small minority who are liberated from mankind's most pervasive superstition. That doesn't prove anything, he says, but it, it at least ought to make you worry a little bit. <laughs> you know, so like, I mean, there's so many examples. Just think about this. So, um, I don't know, a few months ago, I watched this movie called Denial, and it was about a guy who denied that there was the Holocaust. Uh -huh. And so then this lawyer had to go up and try to present the case that this guy was out there. Right. But then she's like, how do I you know, prove it in a court of law mm -hmm. to everyone's satisfaction. Right. And and then she and she says, like, you know, what what if I don't do it? It doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means that I can't prove it in this this case. It's interesting too, like sometimes when we think about proof, you're like, um, we can't always prove things that we know to be true. So for instance, let's say that you were innocent of a of a crime that you were accused of. Right. But you couldn't prove it in a court of law. That doesn't mean that it's that you're not innocent. It just means that you can't prove it to someone else's satisfaction. That's right. So it's like, anyways, going back here, let's just say that there was a large percentage of people who denied that there was the Holocaust. They didn't right. look at the history, the witnesses, the testimonies, the whole works of it. So, uh, you know, well, what do you do, though, when you've, let's say that 95% agree that this is not a collective hallucination, that you, in fact, are the one that needs to kind of rethink your uh, understanding here. So, like, 
there was this debate that I liked. It was Dinesh D'Souza. He's a Christian author, writer, and whatnot, and he debated with Christopher Hitchens, who is I a— I saw it. Uh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, then you might remember this point. Because he was he brought up this thing. He goes, it's almost as if you go to a village and 95% of those people in the village say, hey, we know this guy named Bill. Why? Because we interact with him. We relate to Bill. We have experience with Bill. Five guys say, we've never met Bill. And three of them say, there is no Bill. And the other 95% are making him up. Now, which is more likely? Is it likely that the 3% are right and the 95% are lying or hallucinating? Or is it likely that the 95% are right and the other 3% just don't know the guy? There you go. I think you read Kreef's book. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's- yeah. So I think, you know, we, we got to, like, we say, you know, believers are always made to feel that the burden of proving the claim of God is solely on us. Yet, is it not the case to say that the burden of proof is on these folks to justify their unbelief in the face of generations of men and women equally as, quote, rational as themselves, who count themselves as believers. You know, so it, it is conceivable, right, that those millions upon millions who believe in God were deluded, but is it likely? It seems far more likely that those who refuse to believe are the ones maybe suffering from deprivation and delusion. I say that word purposely because there's a whole that uh, this guy Richard Dawkins wrote this book called The God Delusion. Delusion, right? Yeah, yeah but you know, like, are are these folks kind of like, you know, tone deaf? Uh, you know, like it's like the tone deaf person who denies the existence of music, or this, you know, color blind person who says there's no such thing as color. And they have to work so hard to do it. I mean, tr- just try and think how hard you'd have to work to deny gravity, right? It is. It's hard to deny God. It it really is, and that's and they work very hard at it. But it's not easy. Why? Because it's it's wrong. That's why. Yeah. I, I've heard some people say that looking at all the evidence, uh, I think the quote is, "I don't have enough faith to be to, an atheist." To be an atheist. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, like that 95%. Now, they say that that actually has went down. It's somewhere in the 80 to 90% category of people who believe, and they say a lot of uh. it is through the effect of these new atheist books that have come out. And this, the group, you know, between the 18 and 30 category called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, yep, yep. they've really been uh, influenced by these writings. You know, like there was this whole, uh, in London, there was this campaign that said, you know, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life, so to speak. Uh. There's this, this really campaign, because like these atheists, they're really evangelical. <laughs> they're not to say, live and let live, I think you're crazy, I don't believe, you believe, whatever. And it's like, no, we want to actively try and say, you know, we want to convert you to our view. I mean, there's a whole book. It's a great book called The Psychology of Atheism about why why would someone want this to be true? Why would you want to go around saying there is no such thing as Godzilla or the Loch Ness Monster, but then you go around saying something you don't believe in, that you want everyone else to believe what you believe. You know, so it's like um, recently when I gave this talk on science and, and faith, I talked about how, you know, faith and reason are meant to be allies. But, you know, these when people say, hey, just reason, no faith. You know, and uh, but it's like reason without faith can potentially lead to an, an aggressive secularism that seeks to silence, mock, persecute, rid society of this quote harmful delusion. But we know from the 20th century what reason without faith looks like in the wrong hands. Yeah, it's disastrous. It's uh, people die, millions die, millions die. So look at how many people died under these atheistic, communistic regimes that just right. says we will. Pursue our will because faith in God is 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 dead. But you know, like this still carries over in our own own day. And I think we got to get this worked out in in our mind that you know, like 
you know, reason and faith are two sides of the same coin. You know, science and, and um, you know, revelation and reason are, are a gift. But if you do look at the studies, they say that 70% of people who have left the, the faith, I mean, um, 70% of those of, of, of these percent that left the faith stated that they, be, they believe that the teachings of science and religion ultimately conflict with one another. They associate science with evidence and proof, but associate religion with blind faith and private subjective opinion. And you said it a moment, a, a moment ago, it, to be an atheist is to be a snob. And, and to rely <laughs> yeah. on science exclusively is to be snobby and unbelievably arrogant, the hubris of it. Think about it. What if you had, took this position in 1900 or in 1800 or 1500? If you believed everything that there is to be known is known today, all that is knowable, all that is to be figured out is known today, you, you have stunted the growth of our natural progress, right? And, and then to evaluate everything based on what is the current wisdom, you're going to lose. Yeah. I don't know how quickly or how much or how far, but you're going to lose. There's no question. Yeah. Well, you know, we're kind of on this little, you know, side note branch here, but it's like we got to talk about this because, you know, in uh, in one poll, too, like some of these folks that say they don't believe, they, I mean, so these are, this is uh, more than two-thirds of self-described atheists and one-third of self-described agnostics affirm that, quote, the findings of science make the existence of God less probable. And according to the same survey, they say, well, why? What has affected your loss of faith? And they say this sense of kind of like Darwinism in a sense that there's this random, unguided process of chemical and biological evolution that, like, there is no need for a, a God, which, again, that that is something that has been misunderstood, and we, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but it's like Richard Dawkins said that, you know, basically, uh, he said atheism might have been ten logically tenable before Darwin, but Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist, even though that makes no sense, because even if you claim that life somehow evolved from the first life, how did you get life in the first place? No one is any near closer to explaining that than they have since, you know, whenever. Which, which is not to say that Darwinism makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's in some respects, it's self-refuting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, we could we could spend a lot of time yeah. on that, but I don't want to get nope. too too sidetracked. But I I do want to re recommend this book because uh, maybe at some point we can we can address this. Is that there's this new book coming out uh, called "The Catholic Case for Intelligent Design." I was fortunate to kind of be able to preview it and um, look at it. It's really going to be a, a fascinating thing. It's like more and more as 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 science is is able to kind of show us. It's really more pointing to what is we've always believed that it's like. Creation points to creator. The artistry points to the artist. The the design points to the designer. The the Big Bang points to the Big Bang. <laughs> and I'm not familiar with the book, but I think you said that it's authored by. A, there's a number of different authors. Yeah. It's a, it's, yep. So it's a collaboration, if you will. A collaboration, yeah. So it's um, they address all kinds of issues, and it's just really good. It's going to be, um, I, th I think, a good um, sense, especially for Catholics who feel like we've been kind of this whack-a-mole. Every time we try to make a, a you know some point or whatever, they's like you know shut them down, don't let them speak. But I, I, I it points to this other book, which I always recommend this guy. Stephen Meyer is uh, one of the most articulate proponents uh, that I've heard about in terms of the science, talking about intelligent design, things that we kind of in, in, infer. And uh, so he wrote this book called The Return of the God Hypothesis. So he highlights three scientific discoveries from the natural sciences, really in the last 50 years, so to speak. Number one, the material universe had a beginning. Number two, the material universe has been finely tuned for life from the beginning. And three, large discontinuous increases in functionally specified information have entered the biosphere since the beginning. So it doesn't really prove, so to speak, God's existence. 
but it does provide a strong inference as how these things point to God. And that's why everybody wants to shut these guys down. That's right. Because it's like, right. hey, we don't want to let any divine foot in the door or anything that points. Maybe right. That way. And if they do, you, you're, you're going to ridicule them. And, and just think about it, how science has started to catch up with faith. Right. We say in the beginning, God created everything. Right. What did he create it from? Nothing. He created it from nothing. Ex nihilo. And when that Catholic priest came up with the so-called Big Bang Theory, which he didn't call it the Big Bang Theory, yeah. at this conference, they were ridiculing him mercilessly. That's why they call it the Big Bang Theory. With St. Joseph Radio, with a great gift idea a St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and seven medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters VRSN. N-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B in Latin reference which translates Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally located at the top is the word Pax which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing which your local priest can administer. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio. Check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the pro-life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Welcome back to St. Joseph Radio Presents. I didn't give a good outro in a moment ago, but that's just because I wanted to squeeze one more thing in. So let me squeeze a few things in before we get back to our topic at hand. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of things that are going on. It is Lent, for goodness sakes. There, there's uh, all kinds of things you can do in the Archdiocese. Then I'm going to give you a little report on the uh, Catholic Men for Christ that we just had. So first off, the Lenten series is on again every Friday night at St. Angela Marici Catholic Church in Florissant. It is a great church, a great community. Uh, if you were, were there on the 24th, you saw Matt Logeman. We have a number of folks over there. Fred Vilbig. It'll finish up with Deacon Tom Burke, who is not to be missed. Anyway, so if you need more information, of course, you can always call us at 636-447-6000. I already reminded you that we need to find a few good men. We need to nominate some good men for Catholic Man of the Year. And if you suggest that they should be Catholic Man of the Year and they're saying, no, I don't want it, that just means they're qualified. Don't forget, we need some nominations. All right, carrying on. There is a healing service on March 3rd. It's coming up. It's uh, going to be at St. Ignatius of Loyola. 
Um, it's in uh, Marthasville, Missouri. Uh, I don't even know where Marthasville is. That's but by my neck of the woods out there. Is it? It's yeah. not that far then. Not you don't that. have to pack a bag. So there's <laughs> going to be a healing service on March 3rd, 7 p.m. You can again call us, and um, we will give you further details. Uh, I already talked about Catholic Man of the Year, so I think I'm almost up to date. Catholic uh, Men for Christ. The conference was last weekend. We had about 900 men, uh, and, and, a lot, and a lot more, uh, the percentage of men, a lot more of them were younger. Hmm. So it was good to see. And uh, let, me, let me just tell you this. Uh, Marcel uh, Le, Lejeune was there. He was a double speaker, if you will, and, and doing a great job uh, getting us fired up about the faith. But at one point, he said this. He looks at the 900 men and he says, Know this, we, what we're doing right now is not evangelization. And we're all looking at each other, right? He says, think about it. Our Lord spent 75% of his time with 12 men. And the most intimate moments were with just three. He said, look, if you're trying to spread the faith, it's man-on-man, one-on-one. Do it, right? Mm -hmm. Do it with your lives. Do it with what you do every day. Do it in your common speech. If If you're out for dinner, pray, make the sign of the cross. These days here in St. Louis, we, it is prime time to spread the faith. One last thing. Think about this. There are more non-practicing Catholics out there than any and all the denominations combined. We need to spread the faith. Why? We got a great thing. Why not share it? So part of it might begin with, I don't believe in God. And that's what we're talking about today. No, we're not. We're talking about the well, yeah, sixth kinda. session of... Why we should believe in God. And we are here with Matt. I'm sorry, Matt. I'm Peter, and and this is Sean Miller. <laughs> well, we're, well, we're talking about, you know, like uh, w- ways to really share is, you know, to recognize the fact that people in this day, we kind of have idolized science. It's like, well, okay, let's take it down off its throne, but let's use it to really point back to what who, who the author of science is. You can say, really, God's authored two books. This is the way some of the um, the scholars spoke about it, like, you know, Galileo and, and Kepler, the, the book of nature and the book of scripture. So you think about opening a book and studying the book. And so, you know, these highlight two orders of knowledge, you know, revelation and reason. These are two tracks, two wings, two sides of the same coin. So it's like when we study the book of nature, we're really studying its author, which I want to begin then with the, the book of nature. We call it the universe, right? And we're going to talk specifically about the origin of the universe. So again, we talked about universal, this is the U, universal consent, and now we're the universe itself. So this is fascinating uh, because this has just come about in a, in modern times, so to speak. This is going to be talking about this origin. And uh, this is adapted in this point is from William Lane Craig. He's an evangelical Christian philosopher. He's popularized what's known as the Kalam argument, which is the, the word Kalam means uh, speech in Arabic. So he, he writes this. He goes, you know, God makes sense of the origin of the universe. Have you ever asked yourself where the universe came from, why everything exists instead of nothing? The conclusion that the universe had a beginning has been confirmed by remarkable discoveries in astronomy and astrophysics. In one of the most startling developments in modern science, we now have pretty strong evidence that the universe is not eternal in the past, but had an absolute beginning about 13 billion years ago in a cataclysmic event known as the Big Bang. What makes the Big Bang so startling is that it represents the origin of the universe from literally nothing. 
For all matter and energy, even physical space and time themselves, came into being at the Big Bang. Of course, alternative theories have been crafted over the years to try to avoid this absolute beginning, but none of these theories has commended itself to the scientific community as more plausible than the Big Bang Theory. Now, one person wrote that a proponent of the Big Bang Theory, at least if he is an atheist without a belief in God, must believe that the existence, I'm sorry, that the universe came from nothing and by nothing. But surely that doesn't make sense. Out of nothing, nothing comes. So why does the universe exist instead of just nothing? Where did it come from? There must have been a cause which brought the universe into being. So here's his argument. He says, number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. Number three, therefore the universe has a cause. Now he says, and this is where I think it's really fascinating to kind of listen carefully. He goes, given the truth of the two premises, the conclusion necessarily follows. From the very nature of the case, this cause must be an uncaused, changeless, timeless, and immaterial, not to mention inconceivably intelligent and powerful being which created the universe. It must be uncaused because the cause certainly could not have been anything within the universe since things can't cause themselves to come into existence. It must be timeless outside of time because it created time. And because it also created space, it must transcend space as well and therefore be immaterial, not physical. It must be inconceivably intelligent and powerful because you cannot have something in an effect which is greater than the cause. And when you look at the effect of the universe, one can only wonder at the grandeur of the cause. Moreover, Craig argues, I would argue it must be personal. The only way for the cause to be timeless and the effect to begin in time is for the cause to be a personal agent who freely chooses to create an effect in time without any prior determining conditions. Well, an uncaused, timeless, transcendent, immaterial, eternal, supremely powerful, intelligent, and personal cause of the universe. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like God, maybe. I don't know. What, 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 you know, go to the atheists. What else? Well, as Thomas Aquinas pithily puts it at the conclusion of each of his five ways of God's existence, this is what most people mean by God. Yeah. Now, that's fascinating, I think, that it was only in recent times that we really can, can, can scientifically show what, what the church has always held right. that God created out of nothing. You know, that was a that it was, was a, a big debate. That was a, a statement of faith that we always held to, even though we didn't have kind of confirmation of it. It was just like this is what has been revealed. Mm -hmm. And now reason has kind of shown it to be in fact caught up. <laughs> right. Now this is really fascinating. So there was a, a guy named Robert Jastro. So he's and he was a noted agnostic astronomer, physicist, and cosmologist. So he wrote this book called God and the Astronomers, and he discussed the obvious theistic implications of the Big Bang Theory. Though he acknowledged that these implications made him personally uncomfortable, he explained that the theory, with its implication of a beginning, seems to portray the origin of the universe in terms that closely match what a biblically informed theologian would expect. He said that, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He said, for thousands of years, people who have believed this statement have known the truth, which scientists have discovered only within the last 50 years. He goes on to state that this is the most powerful evidence for the existence of God ever to come out of science. So there's this great quote at the end of his book. He says this, he goes, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> 
So any, anyways, isn't it really incredible that the Big Bang Theory, you know, it, it seems to really coincide nicely with what the church has always held in, in, in you know, that God is the, uh, the author of it out of nothing. So... So unfortunately, though, what happens? Well, here comes the no string of books. How do we say that out of nothing, nothing comes? Well, here's a book uh, Lawrence Krauss wrote called uh, A Universe from Nothing. You're going to see uh, more of like in the Marvel comics, the the term multiverse. Oh, yeah. So that, you know, like there must have been an infinite number of universes that somehow cranked out this universe that we have no proof of. But, you know, we can't posit that it started from a divine creator. Therefore, there must be some other theory. So let's go with some scientific uh, semantics, or maybe create this multiverse theory. But, you know, one book that I'd recommend here is called The Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel, where he oh, kind of right. goes through all these arguments. And he was the one that says that, you know, when you look at all the facts, I don't have enough faith to be an Oh, is that who said it? I knew somebody <laughs> said it. I knew somebody said it. Yeah. So uh, there's a guy named Eric uh, Metaxas, he is an uh-huh. American author, speaker, and radio host, and so he wrote this uh, Wall Street Journal journal article entitled "Science Increasingly Makes the Case for God," in which he talked about you know the the universe and the fact that it exists and it's being fine tuned, and, and apparently, from what I understand, it's unofficially the most popular article in the Wall Street Journal history. Really? You know? wow. <laughs> yeah. And so this book he wrote is called "Miracles: What They Are, Why They Happen, and How They Can Change Your Life." So. I want to get a little bit more into the universe itself, but I want to kind of segue to go to the letter M here, where we're talking about miracles in in general. So, um, you know, Dr. Peter Craft, he says that, again, this is back to the handbook of Christian apologetics. He said, a miracle is an event whose only adequate explanation is the extraordinary and direct intervention of God. There are numerous well-attested miracles. Therefore, there are numerous events whose only adequate explanation is the extraordinary and and direct intervention of God. Therefore... God exists. If miracles happen, they must have a cause. Everything that happens has an adequate cause. But a miracle is an event that nothing in, the, in nature can cause. For instance, no force in nature can bring back the dead. The only adequate cause of a miracle is a supernatural being. But miracles do happen. Indeed, there is massive, reliable testimony of them across many times, places, and cultures. Therefore, their cause exists. And their only adequate cause is God. Therefore, God exists. So that's kind of the argument. The argument is not a proof. But it's a very powerful clue or sign. So if you recall, we did a talk, oh, months ago about miracles. And I had the memory aid, M-I-R-A-C-L-E-S. And I, ta- and I talked about the first one, M, was the miracle of matter, mankind, life, creation. The fact that we exist is massive. I mean, they say if you don't believe in miracles, perhaps you've forgotten that you are one. You come at the long at the end of a long, massive line of this habitat for humanity that's been created. And that within your very self is the longest word in the world, which is your genetic code. You know, but for this world to come to come as it is, you know, scientists are showing more and more what a miraculous thing it has to be, this, you know, and especially in the sense of fine-tuning. So, like, uh, that's where I want to start here before we get into the other um, of the miracles that I want to speak about. So, again, there's a book out there called The Privileged Planet. There's ones called Rare Earth, God and the New Physics. Martin Rees wrote a book called The the Just Six Numbers. There's one called The Goldilocks Enigma. Bottom line, these point to that it's stunning to ponder the discovery of how complex and sensitive a balance of initial conditions must be given in the Big Bang in order for the universe to permit the origin and sustainability of intelligent life on Earth. The universe appears, in fact, to have been incredibly fine-tuned from the moment of its inception 
for the production of intelligent life on Earth. And these, these videos and books show that, like, you know, <clears throat> there's these dials. If you look at, like, the gravitational force, the speed of light, these, you know, other various constants in the universe, that if you tweak that just a little, one way or the other, life Nothing is not possible. Happened. Yeah, you even think about our place in the Milky Way. You know, we're a little, too, a little bit closer to the sun, 1% or 2%. We're fried. A little bit too farther away, we're frozen. You know, so there's a lot of great stuff coming out to show the beauty of this fine-tuning. In fact, um, Christopher Hitchens was asked, and he's one of the atheists that, you know, gives all these debates. He said, like, you know, what have you heard is the best argument that believers give for the, well, for the proof good. of God? Good and, he, question. and he said, he goes, it's the fine-tuning one that kind of keeps us up at night, you know, yeah. to show that this is something that really points to, to, to God. So there's a great... Um, Clip. It's called the fine tuning of the universe. That, that William Lane Craig. He's got a site called reasonablefaith.org, and if you go, so it's reasonablefaith.org/backslash/fine-tuning, and it, it kind of gives a little video depiction about all these factors necessary to make this life happen. And if again, if they're slightly tweaked one way or the other, we're history. You know. And so, you might have heard of a guy named Father Jacques Philippe. Have you heard of him? Yeah, he's, I've heard of him, but I couldn't he's. So he's an internationally known spiritual writer and retreat leader. So he wrote all kinds of books. I think his books, he sold millions of books in various languages. And in this one book called Thirsting for Prayer, he writes that he was a scientist by training, but when he entered a religious community, he didn't have a chance to really keep up on all the latest things going on with the scientific mm -hmm. studies. So he was at an airport, and he picked up this book, and it was called Latest News on the Cosmos. And he said, in reading that book, he said, I have to say, this book did me more good than 10 spiritual books oh, because wow. of the wonder and awe that it e evoked, you, you know? So it's like he's really praising God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, that this avenue of the book of nature can make us really show, you know, how God communicates and have, we can have wonder and, and awe at, at what he's trying to communicate. So it, again, it all points back there. Now that's from the, the cosmos out there. But when you think about going back to what we said about the cell, you know, we've got like about, they think about 50 trillion cells in our body. And every one of these are mini molecular machines. They're composed of thousands of working parts. They're as complex as like, I mean, let's say you went 50 foot high above New York City and you could see Sewer, plant, waste, transportation, disposal, whatever it might be, all the workings of a city. That's what's going on inside every individual cell. And it really is incomprehensible. So it's like all these then point to the, the great designer who must have designed this thing. I, I was fortunate to talk to one of, the, uh, one, one of the guys who wrote a couple articles in that book that I mentioned, The Catholic Case for Intelligent Design. I was able to speak to him, and he, he sent me this little video because uh, I, as I was preparing to give this talk on faith and science, he said, show this video about, to people about what happens in a cell. You know, so it's, it's called the ATP synthase. Don't have a clue myself what that means, but it's this molecular machine inside of a cell. And that when you see this incomprehensible nano, tiny, you know, tiny machine working in an incompre you know, it's an incomprehensible way that it, it just it's just really a wonder, you know. So And this is St. Joseph Radio Presents <laughs> coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Karutz. And actually this is on the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. Check us out sometime. S J E N V, lots of videos. We're coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West, and we're with Sean Miller, who is telling us about the Reasons for God, Part 6. <laughs> yes, and we're on M for Jumped. <laughs> right, yeah. So this guy, speaking of Miller, his name is Dr. Brian Miller. And he... Uh, Relative? 
He's not a relative. Very, uh, you know, these guys, they have PhD, XYZ in all these scientific fields, but it's nice that they can speak to those who try to thwart the faith on their own terms. You know, like if I'm trying to speak to someone and, and communicate the faith, I have to know their language. Absolutely. And a lot of times we feel very overwhelmed in the scientific realm because they're using terms and things that the average person just doesn't, you know, really know how how they work. Just like I said, what is ATP synthase, you know? But um, he had said this great quote, and he quoted it was from somebody else. I think it was one of the early... Um, scientists in the 16th century who said that a little science can bring people away from God, but a lot of science will bring them right back. Uh-huh. And uh, it made me think of the guy who, his name was um, Dr. Ant- Anthony Flew, where he was one of the world's most noted atheists, but he said that it was his fine-tuning argument and understanding that this is something that you just can't explain away as chance, that it said that you know this he wanted to follow the evidence wherever it led, and it led him to become a theist, that he believed in a God. So again, the argument from the fine-tuning is making many people, quote, finally tune in to the reality that was already there. Like you might have heard the little joke. What was the largest island before Greenland was discovered? The answer was Greenland. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Absolutely right. It 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 was already there. Right. So just because I discovered it, doesn't mean it, it was just came into creation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, what's that 80s pop song? The search is over. You're with me all the while. That's right. I mean, that's really the truth. So anyway, so hopefully the first M, you know, matter, miracle, mankind, creation, uh, that's in a sense supplemented by these other miracles. And like I said, we spent a whole uh, session one time going through each of these. I just want to say a point about – a. A few of them. And I want to start out by, you know, uh, think about this. When Thomas doubted that Jesus rose from the dead, you know, he said, unless I see his nail marks and put my hands and finger, et cetera, into his side, I'm not going to believe. You know, there's part of that in all of us, right? We all say we've got strong faith, but there's still a little bit of us that that doubts it wants, you know, more proof, so to speak. And it's like the Lord, you know, responds to that. It's like, so he appears to Thomas and said, all right, come on in. But that, you know, the church says that so that the submission of our faith might nevertheless be in accordance with reason, God willed that external proofs of his revelation should be joined to the internal helps of the Holy Spirit and then and then through miracles to kind of show that these are motives of credibility which show that the ascent of faith is by no means a blind impulse of the mind. So we have these miracles not just through, you know, concluding from design to a designer, but also some supernatural wonders here. And... Um, Recommend the site. This guy, he's called the Miracle Hunter, miraclehunter.com. You know, follow the science of the supernatural. He said that at a Stanford uh, University class, his name is Michael O'Neill, that his teacher was Condoleezza Rice, and she mm-hmm. challenged students to become an expert in something. Well, he decided to become an expert in miracles. So, like, if you recall, um, <clears throat> I mentioned M I R A C L E S. We said M stands for matter. I think about images, icons, incorruptibles, R. You know, the resurrection, relics, things about the shroud, our Lady of Guadalupe, her turn, or the tilma. A, apparitions. C, think of the Catholic Church existence, canonization process. L, lords, locutions, levitation. E, Eucharistic miracles, experiences, exorcisms. And then S, scriptures, stigmatists, and saints. And so that, that's a quick summary of that talk that we have. But I just want to say a few things about, like, if I was to start with someone that says, I need evidence for God. Show me maybe some, are there any supernatural signs? I would say, sure. Yeah, I mean, let's look, first of all, 
at um, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Look at the relic of the Shroud of Turin, the most studied, you know, intersection of faith and science probably out there. Think of the stigmata of Padre Pio and these stigmatists. Think about the miracles at Lourdes, you know. But uh, going back to the stigmata, you know, Padre Pio was a priest who had the the the, uh, the physical manifestations of the wounds of Christ for 50 years. And this man once came up to him and said that he didn't believe in God. Now, this is, Padre Pio was in the midst of this big crowd. So this guy says, I don't believe in God. And then uh, Padre Pio looked at the man and all the people around him, and he said to the man, uh, do you think we are all stupid? <laughs> no, no, I, I just got to say that because, you know, it's like, again, going back to the kind of the common consent, you know, like if in fact you say you don't believe, okay, you have your right to your own wrong opinion, but it's That's like, right. but like, okay, uh, then maybe make the case. Think about the millions and billions and trillions of people, or not, not trillions probably, but just the number of people in the world that have believed naturally, you know? And so it's like, and then these are people who follow not just the external signs, the internal signs, but then these supernatural signs. Um, one of the things is Eucharistic miracles. We're kind of in this time in the uh, in the uh, U.S. We're trying to ponder Eucharistic amazement, rekindle the, the, the fire of what the Eucharist is. There's this video called Science Test Faith, which kind of highlights one of the miracles that took place. In the present Pope, Francis, in his diocese back in 1996 when he was the cardinal there, a Eucharistic host that <clears throat> transformed into you know, heart muscle tissue. And they've done all kinds of scientific studies, and it was the Blind cardinal. scientific studies. Yeah. These people had no idea what they were studying. Yeah. And you're like, how can bread... On the appearance, turn into heart muscle tissue. And anyways, that's fascinating. Living heart muscle Living tissue. Heart. Yeah, so I want to recommend a book called Reason to Believe. It's a book called Unseen. There's a new one out called My Human Heart, and that talks about the studies of, of these things. But just a couple more in our, in our time left here. Uh, the, the apparitions. I mean, I've, I've been a big um, um, devotee of these great sites from Guadalupe to Fatima to Lourdes, you know. Medjugorje was one that's still, you know, being alleged. It's, it's on, ongoing, so the church hasn't definitively decided about it. But what I like about that one is it's the most scientifically studied apparition site because it's been going on for so long. And in 2010, when Pope Benedict had this commission on it, they really were able to do so many scientific tests on these children during an actual alleged so-called apparition. But again, that, that there was just one of the signs and wonders that we have. I think the most fascinating thing, if you go to the letter C of this memory aid, is the Catholic Church's canonization process and the requirement of miracles to affirm that what, you know, what we're proclaiming on, on earth is as it is in heaven, that we're asking God for some supernatural sign. And I once did a study about the people in the USA whose healings were used to be one of the miracles used by the Vatican to have this person canonized. And it was in uh, Saints Kateri Tekagwitha, Cardinal Newman, St. Peter Claver, St. Faustina, just to name a few. And if you look up those folks and look at, like, you know, what was the miracle used for their canonization process, uh, these were healings that took place in, in the U.S. And so anytime someone's canonized, you got to say, this is a sign that God shows. So just want to end with one quote from G.K. Cheston. He said, rightly or wrongly, those who believe in miracles believe them on the basis of evidence. Rightly or wrongly, those who disbelieve in miracles refuse to believe them on the basis of faith. That's it. We <laughs> filled the whole hour. Go tell a friend to join us next time and spread the word. It's your job. <laughs> Thank you.
You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.